The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for your word and just that your word shows us what Christ-like community looks like. I pray, Lord, that this church um, would be formed more and more towards a community like that, like we see in Acts, that we would be selfless and generous and just seeking community with one another as we praise Jesus together. So I pray that you would make us more and more like that, and that as we hear Randall's sermon this morning, that we would be um, just touched and moved by by the faith of the early apostles and just by what you've laid out in your word. So we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, good morning, church family. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Randall. I'm the lead pastor of Grace City. It's great to see you this morning. Um, You know, I thought about it the other day. I was like... Wonder if there's going to be rain. Wonder what we should do. But um, God's given us an amazing day, right? This morning, and so it's great to see you this uh, this morning. And um, you know, as we before we jump into today's message, I wanted to invite you. Um, you know, we have these different foundations classes, and we've finished two of them. We're going to go into the third one this week. We're going to talk about just everyday life and and how you can follow Jesus in your everyday life and encouraging you in Bible reading and prayer. Um, And so I invite you to come and be a part of it, even if you haven't been a part of the first two. Um, because we want to equip you with the gospel for everyday life. And so a part of that is just learning to be a disciple of Jesus every day. And uh, we want that to be something that we make available to you. And and on top of that, it's not just these foundations classes that we're going to be doing, but um, also we're going to be doing equipping classes um, coming up. And so what that is are uh, different topics that really focus on some of the the values of of what we believe as a church body. Uh, Some of it's going to be just how do you live a gospel-centered life? How do you live um, missionally? How do you um, live in the rhythms of of grace and God's grace? Um, How do you have a kingdom vision for life? And so there are going to be different equipping classes that we're going to do. And I'm excited because uh, the first one that we're going to be doing is is from this book, Rhythms for Life. And and so kind of I, I just posted that I was going through this book with um, some people in our church. And then um, it got retweeted by city to city. And then the author of the book reached out to me and said, hey, if you got people in your church that 
want to do a training on this, um, I, I would love to do that for free. Um, so on February 7th, we're going to be doing that. It's an evening, a Sunday night, uh, just walking through this book. And, and I, I've got copies of the book for you for free. Uh, but we want to put this in your hands. And, I, and I'm serious. We want this to be a church that practically equips you um, to live out the ways of Jesus. Right, to live out the ways of Jesus. And so um, that's going to be happening uh, February 7th on Zoom. We'd love for you to be a part of that as a next step. Um, and then also baptisms coming up at the end of the month here. And so we already have one baptism uh, that's going to be happening that day. And if number two, number three, number four are here, we invite you uh, to be a part of that at the end of the month. Now, with all that said, uh, we're in the book of Acts. We've been going through the book of Acts now um, from the beginning of the year, uh, and we've been really looking and diving into what does it mean to be a Christ follower? What does it mean to be a Christian, especially as we look at the early church? And our text this morning is from Acts 4, 32 through 37. And what we see here as we look at the Christians, the early Christians, is we see a generous community. A generous community. Now, as we've looked over this past year at the early followers of Jesus, what we see is that they are distinctly unique from the culture around them. They're different. Um, the way in which authentic Christians lived and saw the world was radically different. And so today, uh, what we see is very unusual for us as we read it. I mean, if you really read this text, it should be very unusual, kind of weird, because it goes against the ways in which our culture has ingrained us, um, especially when it comes to wealth and possessions. And so we see these early Christians that are just living kind of this radical way in their relationship to wealth and possessions. Now, my prayer has always been from the very start of Grace City that we would learn to be a generous church like this, right? Different than the ways of the world. And, and we would learn to love with no strings attached. See, the early Christians, they looked at their neighbors and they loved them. They looked at the person that was sitting next to them and they loved them. And they loved them in word and in deed. And so how does this type of thing happen? Well, in a popular textbook on economics, the opening pages read like this. Economics is concerned with the efficient use or management of limited productive resources to achieve maximum satisfaction of human material wants. Maximum satisfaction for human material wants. You see, that is what economics is defined as in the world that we live in. And if we're honest, this is the take many of us have kind of approached when it comes to wealth, material possessions here in America. But is this how people that follow Jesus are called to live? See, if we look at the stats between 1950 to 1999, a period of serious economic growth in America Suicides among people under the age of 24 increased by 137%. Nearly 43 million Americans experienced mental illness. 
Now, I want to read this. This is from Michael Rhodes and Robbie Holt, and they wrote this in Practicing the King's Economy. Here's what they said. All this is happening in the wealthiest nation that has ever existed on earth. Indeed, substance abuse, mental illness, and depression seem to have risen right alongside our rising incomes. In fact, some research research even suggests that our pursuit of these rising incomes is actually causing the explosion of mental illness. When we consider our unprecedented wealth and our increasing inner despair, we wonder whether our approach to economics, like that of the rich young rule before us, has tempted us to walk away sad from our Lord's invitation to come and follow him. See, when it comes to economics, how are Christians different? How do we view ourselves differently? Because the question I want to ask is, as Christ follows, is there a different kingdom economy that we live under? And number two, if so, should believers have a different relationship when it comes to money and material possessions? Because that's what we see here in this text. Real Christians radically changed in how they view what they have. So our text is from verses 4, uh, 32 through 37. And from today's text, let's ask three questions about money and possessions that will help us learn what it means to be generous. A generous community defined by what God says. Number one, it's this, who owns it? Number two, what's enough? And number three, how's it managed? Who owns it? What's enough? And how's it managed? The first one we can find in verses 32 through 33. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things uh, belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now, what's happening here? Well, one pastor says this. He says there was a, there was a cycle of impact. The engine of that cycle or that dynamic was the, this drastic and unreasonable generosity. Not unreasonable from my point of view or the Bible's point of view, but from the world's point of view. The message was backed up by lives of the people, and the lives of the people were characterized by an unreasonable and unaccountable generosity. Verse 32 says this. It says, The full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. They're of one heart and soul. See, what connected these believers together, this community together? It was God. You see, these believers had a true experience of grace. No no longer were they defined by their possessions, their bank account, but they were defined by God. And their life flowed from that. See, here's what we know about God from his word. 
Haggai 2.8 says this, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. First Chronicles 29.12 says, Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. 1 Corinthians 10.26 says, For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. What these Christians believed was that everything that they had wasn't their own. That it was God's. And they actually believed God and what he said. Verse 33 says this, No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. Being a parent now for 11 years and then over those 11 years adding a couple more kids to the equation, we've got three now. The biggest battles that we have in our household are the battles over this word, mine. Mine. Hey, that's mine. Why are you touching my stuff? That's mine. Those are the biggest battles that we have in our house. But what does it look like to be a person that says, you know what, it's ultimately all God's. It's God's. It's not mine, it's God's. You see, we can talk about how much we love God, about how much the gospel of Jesus Christ means to me, about how much I love God's church. But what's the bottom line? What's the bottom line of my life? Jesus says that it starts with my attitudes towards my money and my possessions. Matthew 6, 24 says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And you see the reality of the church. What does it mean that we're like, we're here, right? We're here. We're in this season of struggle. What can we learn? Where can some of the idols start to be revealed? See, the saddest conversations that I've had is when the church thought they were a business. That's the saddest conversations I've had. That's the most heartbreaking conversations I've had. It's when we think that this is a business. You see, what I see here and what God tells us is that the church is a family. Because if you believe that the church is a family, you make family decisions, right? But if you believe that the church is a business, you make business decisions, right? And where has the idolatry come into the church where we've believed that this is just a business? See, I think some of those things need to be rooted out in the church in America and it needs to be brought to bear on the people where we've believed this. It's an idol. And Jesus says you can't serve both. And so do I believe 
that what I have in this world, it's mine, or do I believe it's God's? That's the first point. The second point is this. What's enough? Verses 34 through 35. There is not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, what do we see in this text? Well, first there's this word need. Verses 34 through 35 starts there. There was not a needy person among them. What this means is that no one lacked anything, right? That they were taken care of. Like, like they were taken care of like a family member would be taken care of. That, that they were taken care of so well that, that, that it was like they were taking care of their brother or their sister and they were making sacrifices to do that. I want to care for them. I love them. See, how is it that they lacked nothing? It's because of sacrifice. Verse 34, For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. Now, what did the sacrifice look like? Well, the word for sold isn't a word that means they just sold everything at once. It was this wholesale thing. But what it is is that they wisely gave. They wisely gave. They strategically gave. The the Greek word points to more of a gradual liquidation of the things that they had to support the community, to support the people. You see, when was the last time you took an inventory, a real inventory, what you have? There are many times that I think to myself, Randall, you need... More clothes. You need another t-shirt, right? You need that thing. But then my wife talks to me. She says, Randall, have you looked at your closet? Have you done an evaluation of the things that you actually have? And she reminds me, nope, you're wrong. You actually have a lot more than you have, than, than you realize. You have a lot more than you realize. See, the believers are honestly evaluating what they have and sacrificing for the sake of their fellow believers. For their fellow believers. Verses 34 through 35 said this. It says, What was sold and laid at the apostles' feet, it was distributed to each as any had need. See, when was the last time we asked ourselves the question, What's enough? Well, it's rooted in the reality of need and sacrifice. Do I really need what I'm asking for? Am I willing to sacrifice to meet the needs of others? See, those are the questions that these believers are asking. But how is it managed? Right? How is it managed? Well, look at verses 36 through 37. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. See, what we see here 
is that it's a personal decision for Joseph. Joseph, who becomes Barnabas, makes this this decision, right? He wasn't forced or coerced to make this sacrifice. Again, what I've seen, and this is just what I've seen, is that if there's the, the church in general, if we think that we're a business, then we try to coerce people to say, you need to give to this thing to keep the business running. No, this is a spirit-led thing. This is, the, this is Christ leading people to be generous and seeing what's around and saying, how can I give? Not out of coercion, but out of joy. See, they were overwhelmed by God's grace in their life, and they said, you know what? I want to help. I want to help. I want to give because God has put it on my heart to give. See, how did Grace City get here? Through somebody seeing a need. About a decade ago, there was a man named Mike Osborne. He was driving around San Diego and he said, you know what, I don't see a whole lot of gospel preaching churches. And you know what he was? He was a businessman. And he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use my business for the glory of God. And he said, you know what? I want to give a million dollars to church planting. I'm going to give a million dollars to church planting. He said, I don't have a million dollars to give right now to church planting, but I'm going to do it. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God to give me the ability to give a million dollars to church planting. And this is, I didn't know him at the time, but I knew his pastor. And his pastor called me and said, would you come and and consider planting a church in San Diego? And so I'm like, I don't have the resources to do that. And it was people from where I was that said, we are going to give and support so that you can go. Because we believe there should be more churches in San Diego. And Billy and Mary and Brooke and all of these people have made major sacrifices to do this, for us to be here. And I I trace it back to generosity, right? To meet the need for somebody to boldly say, you know what, I'm going to do this and I don't even have the ability to do it, but God, if you want this to happen, it's going to happen. And Mike Osborne went to be with the Lord a few years ago. But I think of the sacrifice that was made. See, this church was birthed out of sacrifice and generosity. And it wasn't coercion. Somebody saying, hey, you have to do this. It was a conviction. A conviction. Right? Are we a church that is convicted, truly convicted about the work of the Lord, about the kingdom of God, and taking care of each other as a family, as a church family? See, one of the things that's, that's been on my heart recently is like, man, we need more redemptive entrepreneurs. We need more people who are willing to go and to, to learn and, and to, to grow so that we can think about kingdom things and make a difference out in the world. 
want you to know this. Economics is not a bad thing, and the church has been afraid of it for a long time because we lived in this world where it's about coercion instead of a conviction. But we need to grow in that. We need to take care of each other. We need to see the real church grow and not worship business models or anything else. But we need churches that are going to be planted out of a conviction in the heart that said, man, I want to reach people for Christ. Right? We need that. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 through 8 says this, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Lord, what do I need so that I can abound in every good work? What do I need so I don't waste my life? What do I need so that I can make a difference in this world? So just some takeaways. How do we live generously? Number one, do you serve God or money? Right, we got to ask this. Like, do I, do I live like the rest of the world or do I serve God? See, how do you know when you've been controlled by money or possessions? It's when you talk too much about it or never talk about it at all. See, there is this control that money can have over us. You were never meant to be controlled by money. Money is a terrible master. Possessions are a terrible master. And so how do we overcome it? One of the things that Martin Luther would do is this. He would wake up in the morning and he would say this. He would recite this to himself. He'd say, I'm rich. I'm adopted into the family of God. I have an imperishable inheritance. I'm going to shine like the stars in the kingdom of my father. Even now, his holy power and joy has come into my life through the Holy Spirit and it has begun to grow and it will eventually sh- uh, swallow up all my foolishness and all my sadness and all my weakness. I am rich. Here's the thing. Right now, if you're in Christ, you are rich. You have riches in heaven. You have riches of the Father. Knowing you are rich in Christ will help you to overcome the control of money in your life, possessions, the fears that it induces into our lives. We need that. We need to know that that's going to change us. But secondly, how have we managed what God has given us? See, Jesus spoke a lot about money and possessions. 16 of the 38 parables he spoke about were about how to handle money and possessions. Throughout the Gospels, an amazing one out of 10 verses deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible offers more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Many of us put more faith in money than we do in God. We do. And this will keep us captive. And so how have we managed what God has given us? One of the practices of faithful Christians from the beginning is to give generously to God's work in the world. Timothy Keller wrote this. He says, in the Old Testament, we know the Old Testament believers were required to give 10% of their annual income to God's work, to the poor, and so on. Everything we know from both pagan and Christian historical texts, from the New Testament early Christians and even pagan historical texts, is the early Christians went way beyond the tithe. 
They went way beyond 10%. As a result, the pagans had never seen anybody this promiscuous with their money. They'd never seen people give their money away in such pro- proportion. They'd never seen people give it away with joy. Here's the reason why. Christians don't worship money. Right? That's radical. Lord, may I be a person like that. May I be a person like that. Lastly, has your generosity cultivated gospel opportunities? See, historically, generosity has started new churches, hospitals, schools, redemptive businesses have given to global relief organizations that were started because of the teachings of Jesus. I've seen people give their lives for this. And every person Every one of us is called to play our part. And we ask God, what is my part in this? See, all of what we do communicates to the world who we worship. Am I the real deal? Right? Am I the real deal? How do we become generous people with all that we have? Second Corinthians 8, 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for, for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The riches of God have been given to me because of the King of Kings becoming poor. Becoming poor. Right, honest evaluation, looking at my life. What's it going to be at the end? Will my life be wrapped in what Jesus has done for me? See, the king of kings is so generous that he gave it all. Let your life be defined by that. And then over time, generosity will grow in your life like never before. And it won't be because of you. It will be because of what Christ is doing in you and through you to make a difference and a real impact for his kingdom. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your grace on our lives. And and today I pray that we'll hear this message and know that, Lord, All of life matters. Whether we've made mistakes in this or just haven't been able to really wrap our minds around it, Lord, we want to live in the king's economy. Yeah, it won't make sense to this world, but we want to be generous in ways that, Lord, reflect your image and your likeness. I pray first off, Lord, that that I will be a reflection of that that our church will be a reflection of that, that all of us will be just so wrapped up in what you've done, Lord, that we will uh, lead in that and that we will be distinct and different from the rest of this world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. 
If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.